Hey, and welcome back to another episode on Two Cops and a Donut. I'm your host, Dirk Mason, and along with me always is Teddy Maxwell. Yarp. You guessed it. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing the 2007 film Hot Fuzz, starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. We'll be introducing a new donut of the week, along with some interesting personnel files from Teddy Maxwell. And lastly, we have a crazy but funny call of the week. Stick with me on Two Cops and a Donut. And now we'll start with the Donut of the Week. Mmm, donuts. Thanks for coming back, Teddy. What do we got here? This week we have Crispy Cream Donuts. I am super excited about Crispy Creams this week. Mm. And again, we have a general assortment. This week we have two blueberry cake, two sour glazed, we have two raspberry filled, we have two plain jellies, we have two basically Boston cream donuts, and two uh, white cream filled. Mm-hmm. As I'm uh, eating my second one. <laughs> yeah, Dirk's a little bit indisposed at the moment as he has a mouthful of donut. I've already had two. So just to recap on last week and our, our donut consumption, uh, we went a little overboard. You know, I'm not a, I'm not as young as I used to be, so following the you know six donuts or so that I ate, I uh, almost passed out on Dirk's living room floor. <laughs> and uh, I'll be done after this. Yeah, I think I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna start a new thing. You want to tell us a little bit about where we got these? You yeah, so Krispy Kreme Donuts. You know, it's a nationwide chain, and uh, Krispy Kreme is an American donut company and coffee house chain based in Winston Salem, North Carolina. Krispy Kreme founder Vernon Rudolph bought a yeast-raised recipe from a New Orleans chef and, in 1937, rented a building in what is now historic Old Salem, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and began selling to local grocery stores. Since then, it's expanded quite a bit. They have over 1,000 stores nationwide, and if you're lucky, you'll have one close to your home in whatever state that you live in. Which, they're really good. I, they're better than uh, Duncan's that we had last week. Yeah, Hands you know, down. And, and, you know, again, you know, as I said before, I'm from New England. No one's claiming Dunkin' Donuts have the best donuts uh-huh. ever. You know. Maybe coffee. They do have the best coffee. I even think they surpass, you know, Starbucks. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, By the way, what kind of coffee you have today? Today we have Black Rifle Coffee Company. Uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company is a premium small batch roast to order veteran owned coffee company. At Black Rifle Coffee Company, we import our high-quality beans directly from Colombia and Brazil. Then we personally blend and roast every one of our kick-ass coffees to be shipped directly to you. That's pulled right from their website, if you were curious, because I do not work for Black Rifle Coffee Company, nor do I think Dirk works there either. No, I thought about it, though. You did? I'm I'm not a veteran, though, but maybe they take me. Was that like a prerequisite? I actually didn't see that, but I'm assuming... Yeah, no, it's it's really good. That actual quality is actually excellent. We I drink it pretty often myself. And yeah, the uh, the batch that we just roasted, I believe, is the thin blue line bag that I got. It's maybe a year ago. I put it in my freezer and saved it for a rainy day. Law enforcement uh, supporters, I'm down with that. That's awesome. Yeah, so I, that's pretty cool. So, uh, Dirk, what do you have? What's your donut of the week this week? I went with that sour cream glazed. That was really good. I wanted to try something different. I had another Barbarian cream filled just because they're my favorite. But And you guys can't see this at home. Dirk is like writhing in pain right now. <laughs> the donuts are not sitting well with him. Yeah, uh, I'm done. I'm just going to have my coffee and 
call it. <laughs> so what do you think about, you had the sour glaze from mm-hmm. Dunkin' Donuts last week. What do you think about the Krispy Kreme version? Uh, the texture is way better. And the, there's like a different, it's more sour. Like you would think a sour cream donut's kind of sour. But in the one we had from Dunkies, nah. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I think it's just the texture of the donuts altogether. Like you said, you were a fan of yeast donuts, and I guess technically, from what we read about Krispy Kreme, these are yeast risen donuts. But these taste like they like melt in your mouth. Like maybe a higher sugar content or something. But I mean, they are. I, I don't know. I think hands down better than Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's one. You got a blueberry cake in there, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the sour cream one was hands down. I mean, like you said, a melt in your mouth. So, And I even dunked it in my coffee. He did. It was awesome. Those things don't hold milk. They almost like evaporate inside yeah. of coffee because I think just the makeup. You know, I think Dunkin' Donuts have a better threshold for holding milk in coffee and stuff. Which brings me you know, to another thing. It's one of a good memory for me exactly uh, when I was a young kid, my dad... But always get like the old fashions, you know, like the plain donuts with nothing on them. Just straight up cake. Yeah, you know, like they didn't have any glaze, they didn't have any powdered sugar or anything, and you dunk them in his coffee. And I was like, <laughs> at the time, I was like, wow, I'm gonna try that because Dad's doing it, you know. And then I uh, tried it, and I was like, coffee tastes like ass. You think it tastes like hot cocoa or something as a child? <laughs> and it tastes like ass. And um, you dip this plain cake donut in it. It's just soaked with nasty black coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and ironically, actually, I love coffee now. I drink like five, six cups a day. Yeah, I do too. I at least a minimum of two. So yeah, uh, my heart's not thanking me, but it's the only thing kind of keeps me going, especially in our job. So, but yes, that's the donut of the week is coming from Krispy Kreme Donuts. Yeah, and if you guys have a suggestion or a place that uh, could be local to us here in Colorado, send us an email or hit us up on Instagram at Two Cops and a Donut. And what's our uh, email? Two Cops and a Donut at gmail.com. And that's spelled Two Cops, T W O, instead of Two the Numeric. Now, uh, let me just add something. I wasn't, my initial location was not Krispy Kreme today. I called Dirk in a panic when I walked up to the doors of another establishment tugged on the doors and they were locked i come to find a note that says we're all out of donuts come back tomorrow and that was like a local yeah it was a local place i'm not going to mention the name because i'm not giving them any bad press but that was really really disheartening well if their donuts are out by what time then (laughs) they are obviously delicious yeah exactly it's noon i mean they usually close at like 3 p.m it's noon and they're out of donuts already so i don't know it's kind of like you're really really excited to go to like jimmy john's or quiznos or jersey mike's and then they're all closed and you have to settle for subway or something you Ugh. know so it was a little disheartening i, I will say this though crispy cream is like not a far cry from the just quality and tastiness of that donut shop which i'll try to bring next week by the way i'll try to get that donut shop and i'll give them a, a very very pleasant shout out once we do so yeah. and just so you guys know crispy cream or black rifle coffee are not sponsoring us as of right now but. no and it's just our opinion on <laughs> yeah. them and i don't know you know for me other you know the only coffee i really don't enjoy is probably starbucks it's too much cream that's all they or milk that's all they put in there man it's a shot of uh espresso with a fuck ton of cream well even that like if you get like a large coffee or venti or whatever the fuck it is it's like so dark it's like tar to me it's so dark it's way too rich for me so because coffee to me is like pizza. Like it's even like a bad cup is pretty good. 
Like you can stomach it, you know what I mean? And for me, I need it to function. But Starbucks is... I'll, I'll still drink Starbucks. I just, for Christ's sakes, man, it's so dark. It's just so heavy for me. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Starbucks, and that's uh, be the last thing I say about them. Yeah, same here. Um, so, uh, what do we have next, Dirk? We're going to do personnel files. We're going to dive into the deep depths of the personnel files. Today, we're going to be going over... Well, I'm going to be asking Dirk a few more questions, and uh, because Dirk hogged all the airtime last week, he's going to be <laughs> diving a little bit more into my law enforcement and military career, so... Stay tuned for that. That's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, stick with us. All right, we're uh, here to the personnel files. And, man, you're going to be sick to your stomach. That's (laughs) donut number four for me. You know, when thinking about it, I listened to our last week's podcast, which... We've gotten excellent feedback on it, and it's weird hearing your own voice, like recorded voice. Yeah. I sound like a 13-year-old prepubescent boy whose voice hasn't quite changed yet, and I don't like it. <laughs> oh, I must sound like I'm 10. Dirk was a little concerned about that himself, but Dirk, you sound even. At least your voice isn't cracking. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're going to be talking mostly since I chewed up so much airtime last time. I was time. just messing with you about that. <laughs> uh, I want to get into what, what started your career off like people have a story as when they were a kid oh i always wanted to be a cop like what do you have one of those yeah you know i just like anyone else i have a story where it kind of i suppose all began uh where i grew up you know massachusetts it's a very union heavy place Uh, a lot of people are they work for the pipe fitters union the steel union they work for the police department they work for the fire department it's just a very common job for uh blue collar people and i grew up in a very blue collar place you know i saw that in you know Boston, in you know where I grew up, the there was a very big respect for law enforcement. You know, I know that's kind of changed a little bit, but it was people respected it, and you knew you could have like a decent income. You knew you'd have like good benefits, and it just seemed like a job where you could go to work, come home happy, have a house, have a family. You know, do the whole you know the whole nine yards, I guess. You know, do you have any uh, family members in law enforcement that you saw growing up, or? I don't. I'm the first one. Um, the first one. And, you know, to me, it seemed like a natural kind of transition out of the military, you know, to go into some form of government work. While I don't like working for the government, uh, it's just one of those things. If you're in the military, it's a, you know, a lot of people, if you go to any police department, any firehouse, a lot of the people, not all, but a lot of the people have a military background, you know? So it just seemed like a natural thing. I was like, go to the military, go to college, become a cop or work in some form of government but i wish i had some like superman story where i saw a cop like chase down like three thugs and just take them all down it wasn't anything like that most of the cops i saw were like 300 pounds and you know had the magazine thing we were talking about last yeah time. horizontal <laughs> magazine syndrome so uh you said you were in the military and we found out from last week it was special forces from from that you decided law enforcement is that because of you were in that kind of field or i mean some people ask us why we're not firemen well how come you chose to be a cop 
yeah, same thing. If the fire department was hiring at that time, I probably would be a fireman. And every time I see those guys in their rigs, I'm super jealous. You know, they have a similar payroll plan that, that we do. Their schedule's way better. Um, those guys do, they work a lot. They have a very difficult schedule. I mean, you'll see them running 24 hours a day in their rigs. You know, a lot of them are medical calls now. And we, you know, we rib those guys pretty hard, you know. You, you give the stuff. They're just like, oh, sit in your patrol car. And I'm like, oh, rain can do your job, you know. <laughs> well, the, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I think, like, the main difference there is that we're actually like you're out on the street you have you have to be proactive that's what command staff wants you to do have police being seen in the public mm-hmm. but firemen they don't have that responsibility you can just sit in the firehouse wait for a call i mean we joke around and have them say they play xbox and make chili <laughs> yeah evidently there's always a crock pot of chili or some type of <clears throat> crock pot dish being made at a firehouse but from my experience with them, especially where we work, we're so busy and these guys are so busy. They're running calls like 24 seven, you know? Right. So it just seemed like a natural thing for me. And yeah, you know, if the fire department was hiring and they had an opening at the time, I probably would have, you know, applied with them too. You know, it seems like a much higher standard of living, you know, it seems like a much more mellow standard. It's nice when the community really surrounds you and stuff, you know, and they're not just like, Oh God, another cop, you know? (laughs) So taking a step back to you went to college and you decided to go in the military. What made what made you decide that? What? To go to the military? Yeah. Oh, the military. I was just a 21-year-old punk kid with no future, zero ambition, nothing going for me. Um, but I always had some type of, I don't know, desire to test myself. I guess my gumption, my, you know... I wanted to see if I could make it, I suppose, you know, and that's, that's the thing I've, I've come to realize, especially for young men and women, um, is that they want to like, the military is a good way to just like, I guess, test your gumption, you know? Um, and that was me at 21. Jesus Christ, I didn't, didn't have anything going on. So um, my brother had joined the army and he was in the middle of his special forces training at the time. So I decided, uh, hey, I'd follow in his footsteps and see if I could make it as well. And so he gave you a little bit of somewhere, maybe, hey, I could do that too. Yeah, yeah, well, I was fortunate. I was fortunate because he kind of, you know, mentored me along. You know, it was all verbal. There's nothing he can do. You know, he was still a student as well. But people have this really, really incredible misconception that, you know, when you're in the military or when you go to basic training, it's like... I always thought it was like the old-timey 1960s Vietnam things you see in the movies, like Forrest Gump. (laughs) purpose in this army to do whatever you tell my drill sergeant god damn it gump you're a goddamn genius that's the most outstanding answer i've ever heard you must have a goddamn iq of 160 you are goddamn gifted private gump and it's not like that at all actually i was in a start with discussing with the viewers what 30th ag is and for those of you who don't know that aren't in the military 30th ag is the depot in which new army recruits come to prior to starting basic training i always thought like i said it was like force gump where you have these airplane hangers with cots lined up or um full metal jacket with cops cots lined up and you would just be getting screamed at by a drill sergeant right off the bus. It is nowhere near that to start. Yeah, you were saying that you like have to go and sit and wait for how many hours before you even do anything. Yeah, uh, we they get you off a bus. They're not yelling at you. They're like, put your stuff here, and then you sit down. And basically what it is, it's in-processing before you start at basic training. They want to give you your uniforms, your name tapes, your dog tags. 
They want to give you all your PT uniforms. You got to get your toiletry kits. You got to get dental checks, medical checks. You got to get, you're like a test pin cushion. You're just getting shots for things you don't even need. I mean, I'm pretty sure smallpox has been eradicated, but... (laughs) Did it that scare you at any point? You were like, what the hell are they injecting me with? Or, I mean, did they tell you, give you, hey, this is, this is for this. We're going to, you know, this is a preventative. We always have to give everybody this. What, I mean, no, what you you're, you're a dipshit maggot recruit. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're putting this needle in your body, which now belongs to us. And you're going to freaking take it. And that's the way it goes because you mean you're at that point, you're not a, you're basically a number, you know, you're not a, you know, human being at that point. So that in that, you know, to, and that's, that's seven days. That's supposed to be seven days. When I went through, we had 25,000 army infantry recruits coming through at the same time. Jeez. So we had guys that were in my platoon when we actually started basic training that had been there for over a month. I was there for 23 or 24 days, I believe. That's a long time. It was a really long time. Um, And I'll just give you this daily schedule of how it works. Yeah, I want to hear it. 3.30 a.m., you wake up. They pull you outside. They count you for about two hours. And no screaming at this time. No screaming at this time. Just get in line because no one knows any military bearing. They don't know how to even stand at proper attention. (laughs) Stand in line for about two hours and while they count you and walk around with clipboards making sure everyone's there and no one's disappeared. 5.30, you wait in line for approximately two hours to get food at the cafeteria. That's because they have 25,000 people going through at the same time. And then let's say 7.30 rolls around, that's when you actually might start your real and processing. Oh, everyone needs to go to dental today. Everyone to go get their hearing checked their eyes checked etc that goes until about 10 a.m to where where you actually go back to lunch the lunch line and to give you a heads up the longest i ever waited for lunch was about four hours and this is where you uh you learned how to sleep standing up probably (laughs) i wish like and that's the boring thing you can't you can't talk to anyone you just stand there it's like kind of like being in prison and they don't let you talk to anybody or really they they have drill sergeants walking up and down the line screaming at people And knowing what I know now, they couldn't do anything to us. They actually couldn't physically discipline us, like, you know, by doing push-ups or anything, because they were too afraid that people would get injured prior to starting basic training. Oh, my God. We didn't know that, though. And we were all like, like, super (laughs) anxious, like, yeah, standing straight up. But, yeah, four hours for that. Uh, About 2 p.m. from 2 to 5, you'll continue your in-processing. Oh, today we'll give you, everyone's going to go to the post-exchange, the PX, and you're going to have to pick up this list of items, toothpaste, toothbrush, toiletry kit, et cetera, et cetera. What we didn't know, which is complete fucking bullshit, (laughs) is that they give you something called a star card. And a star card has about $300 on it where you go to the post-exchange and they actually, you swipe the card. It's almost like a a, um, prepaid debit card now. And you pay for all of that. And then on your first paycheck, they take the $300 out. Oh, nice surprise. My first paycheck was like $300 for like the first like two weeks you go do that you finish your in processing until about 5 p.m wait in line for another two to three hours for dinner go to dinner and then you go back to your room at 9 p.m go to sleep and then wake up at 3 p.m a.m excuse me and start it all over again and it takes a buttload of time it's absolutely fucking it's like mayhem you know what i mean are you just at this at this point in your, I guess, military career of the 23 days, are you just like, God, get this shit over with? Or what? It, like, do you. <laughs> it was the worst experience of my life. I had visions of like Steve McQueen from The Great Escape, like jumping the fence, like 
like running through like Fort Benning into like Columbus, Georgia, catching a bus and going back up north. It was the most painful experience to this day, even after all my special forces training, um, infantry training, airborne, um, all the schools I did when I was in special forces, that was the worst experience I ever had. And I think I'll ever experience a side note. They had these guys. So in a lot of people were kind of the, uh, like me, you know, they're kind of wet behind the ears and they're like, oh, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to be a, you know, ranger. I'm going airborne. I'm going to be a green beret. All these guys were there. And then you would see a bunch of them without shoelaces wearing an orange vest, which meant they were on suicide watch. Oh God. And I think that was their way, like their actual, like my, you know, my concept of like jumping the fence and running away. Like for them, that was their way of getting out was saying, I want to kill myself. So then, you know, I had to stand guard over those guys because because I seemed to have a clue of what was going on, I guess. I mean, at the time I didn't, but I guess I looked the part. So they'd be like, Maxwell, you know, you're looking over these three assholes or whatever. And I'd be like, okay, cool. It was just a really, really rough experience. It's not a good introduction to the military, but at that point, they don't really give a fuck. (laughs) They're just like, "You're, you're mine, you're doing it. So, Teddy, what were the guys like in 30th AG? Well, you had kind of a mixed bag. You had guys that were highly intelligent, some were highly educated going as an enlisted instead of an officer because they were trying to do the special forces thing or the ranger thing. It was kind of a dream of theirs. And then on the flip side, you had other guys who were, you know, the first time I heard a guy, you know, saying an Arkansas accent, like, get out of the way, you fucking dickweed. <laughs> I, with no teeth, you know what I mean? They're like 19, 18, 19 years old with no teeth after years of chewing tobacco and drinking Mountain Dew. Like, <laughs> It was like those types. So you had like a mixed bag of dudes. Like you had America's Best and then you had America's Toilet, I think. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So uh, could you tell, like, what's the main difference between your military and and the difference between law enforcement now? Well, the difference between military and law enforcement is, you know, obviously with law enforcement, there's a lot more liability involved you know you have they have to put a leash on you because everything's so public you know people don't want wars in their streets they don't want officers acting inappropriately or you know and when i say inappropriate just you know swearing they you know you're supposed to be like a fixture of the community so in the military it's the exact opposite and in the military you're kind of left to your own devices and as long as you do your, your job you're assigned to do commended in your um praise for that and as a police officer it's just kind of like you have to just really really mind your p's and q's it's hard to bring out your true personality as a cop yeah you have to be almost like a robot you really do i mean it's kind of like robocop like everyone's like well we don't want guys like robocop it's like well you kind of do yeah you can't i mean now that we're wearing body cameras all the time it's uh if you try to if you talk to anybody even if you say something wrong and the other person takes it wrong you could be you know jammed up for it unfortunate it is all about perception, you know what I mean? And a lot of times, you know, you're dealing with people who are looking for those things. They're looking to get you in trouble. They're looking to jam you up. It's an easy lawsuit. It really is. And a lot of cities and a lot of, you know, states, are, they're willing to pay it. So they're just, you know, we have people out, you know, intentionally doing that, trying to, you know, bait cops into arguments and all sorts of stuff. And for the most part, I think cops do an excellent job of just not biting. Yeah, just staying uh, professional. I mean, I know the public eyes not not doing anything yeah exactly you know and i i wanted to bring this up not to get it into the political side but i did read an article um just yesterday and it was about a, a dad saying that he doesn't want his son to go into law enforcement because of the perception of police nowadays and the, the dad's a police officer 
As from what I understand, yeah. Okay. And they were just saying that in his neighborhood where he grew up, he used to salute the police and there was a lot of respect, but now there isn't. And, I mean, we kind of deal with that, but... We do, but I'd say to a lesser degree. I mean, we, we have a very, very decent community of, you know, it's like a mixed bag of good people and bad people. And, you know, the, the good people really, I think, support us. You know, they do a decent job. So, uh, Teddy, before we move on, how long have you been a cop? I've been a cop for three years now. Started tough, and it doesn't really get any easier. It's been a difficult job since day one. And you, um, you've worked for how many departments so far? Just one. And, you know, it's a common thing, I would say, for officers to flip-flop and go to different departments and start over and just looking for a greener pasture. But it's like anything else, man. You're going to have bullshit in any department or any government organization that you work for. You know, it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of that. And we touched on it last episode, uh, but do you think that there is a greener side or is every department the same? I think there are variations to some of the bad stuff that happens in departments. Um, I, I, you know, if you're in a more wealthy area, then there's a lot of pressure on the police officers to do more community policing type things, you know, where you're out in the community meeting kids, you know, meeting the families, you're the, the um, nature of the calls are much, much different. You know, people will call in, you know, things and you better go, you know, respond right away and you better basically fulfill whatever need they have. You know, when you go to a more low socioeconomic area, you know, a lot of the cops are just trying to hold things together so the city doesn't burn down. You know what I mean? Because there's such serious crime and there's so many bad things going on all at once. So if you could compare, like, I know you haven't worked for Detroit police, but we've seen a lot of stuff that's happening there. Do you think that the cops, I mean, obviously they're having more trouble than what we are here just because of what they're dealing with. If it was a department that didn't have the problems, do you think that is it would be kind of similar to here? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you basically, you know, Detroit, you know, once GM and all the car factories shut down, you know, became kind of a poverty stricken area. A lot of the real estate went under and people were just suffering in terms of poverty. So once a place becomes impoverished, people, there's going to be more crime. And that's just the bottom line. And they don't pay enough over there. So it's difficult for them to keep people in their ranks. So it's just, I mean, it's, it's like a tsunami of just you know, bad things happening over there. Yeah, it's I, I couldn't imagine being a police officer there, but I mean, I'm just talking about like within the department, all the stuff that we deal with, you're getting, you're going to IA, you're doing those things. I just think that within the department, I feel like it would be the same. That's my opinion. But. Yeah, totally. And like I said, there's different variations, but for the most part, all, most police departments operate the same. <laughs> so Teddy, <laughs> looks like you're running out of steam over there. How about we take a quick break we're going to play a clip from the movie that we have this week in uh, Pop Culture Corner. And on Pop Culture Corner this week, we have Hot Fuzz, 2007 comedy film. And to be honest with you, I'm not doing too well over here. Four donuts down. I think I need to, like, steadily eat donuts. So, like, I just keep, like, my energy level up until I pass out following this podcast. <laughs> Maybe have a cup of water or something. <laughs> yeah. So coming up next, we have Hot Fuzz. Police Constable Nicholas Angel, born and schooled in London, graduated Canterbury University in 1993 with a double first in politics and sociology, attended Hendon College of Police Training, displayed great aptitude in field exercises, notably urban pacification and riot control. 
academically excelled in theoretical coursework and final year examinations, received the baton of honor, graduated with distinction into the Metropolitan Police Service, quickly established an effectiveness and popularity within the community. Use your brain. Proceeded to improve skill base with courses in advanced driving and advanced cycling. Became heavily involved in a number of extra vocational activities. To this day holds the net record for the 100 meter dash. In 2001 began active duty with the renowned SO-19 Armed Response Unit. Received a bravery award for efforts in the resolution of Operation Crackdown. In the last 12 months has received nine special commendations. Achieved the highest arrest record for any officer in the Met. And sustained three injuries in the line of duty. Most recently in December when wounded by a man dressed as Father Christmas. This week on Pop Culture Corner, we'll be discussing Hot Fuzz. This film was released in 2007, starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. The film was written and directed by Edgar Wright. And a little tidbit of information, Simon Pegg was also co-writer. Edgar and Simon also wrote and directed Shaun of the Dead in 2004, which is a hit movie as well. This is one of Dirk's favorite cop movies. So, And Dirk, uh, coincidentally, he chose this movie for this week's episode. So, Dirk, let us have it. What's Dude, the deal? I'm so excited about this film. There's so many underlining things in the script, and I don't even know where to start. Well, let's start with the intro. That's what you heard, by the way, was the intro to the movie. So let's start with the intro. I mean, kind of grabs you right away, right? This guy's a badass. Sergeant Nicholas Angel from London, right? He's done everything. Yeah, he works for the Met. So let, let me ask you, you know, some of the things you notice in this movie, like, you know, it's a comedy, so you're, you know, you're not really going to get anything serious in it, but what do you notice that's, let's just say, obviously different from the police force there and the police forces that are here? Well, you mentioned earlier, like you said, they're not carrying firearms. And their special response team, they are, but not as regular constables. Right, and that is fucking terrifying to me. I don't know if I could ever do this job without carrying a firearm and maybe it's just the people in england and the uk are just nicer than they are here but if you think about it how many times we actually use our guns i mean i'm not saying we don't need them don't even get that in your head i love it i love firearms but we use them as a show of force yeah it's an implied threat like and you know just having it you know even the thing was a fucking water gun (laughs) it would probably be better than nothing you know that's true so Okay, yeah, there's an obvious difference. You know, one thing I noticed, too, is that those police force, it's a nationalized police force. It's almost like having a military in terms of everyone works for the same police force. Like, we have counties, states, and municipalities here, and they have, you know, with our own policies, our own, I mean, we all go by the same laws, you know, for the most part, but they have, like, one huge police force. So you could be in Liverpool, and you could go to London, or you could go to Newcastle, or you could go to Manchester, and you'd still be in the same police department. That's actually, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because it's like if you went into the federal government or like an ATF agent or anywhere, Border Patrol, you could transfer within the federal government. But here as a municipal cop, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Without a whole bunch of strings that you have to go through and stuff like that. So you mentioned you, you thought Nicholas Angel, a sergeant, as he gets promoted in the movie, is a badass. What? Talk to me about that a little bit. He has all his... I mean, he went through Operation Shakedown, Showdown, every showdown that he's got in there. And he was on the specialty unit. He's excelled in driving, cycling, as you heard on there. Uh, he's just done it all. And he's received how many accommodations? Was like it nine? Nine in 12 months. 
fucking asshole, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll be the first to say, while he is very accomplished, he is the most turned on person in terms of just like it, he never leaves police work it's always in his head is that's like his main focus of just life is police force and that sucks man well so i was gonna get on that later but since we're on it i mean i think that's one of the negatives like not necessarily for the movie it's a negative that sometimes that we deal with is that when you're out you're you're on patrol, you do your thing, you want to come home and turn it off, right? That's what they say in the movie. You just don't know how to turn that brain of yours off, is what he says. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that's true to life now. We have those cops that, I mean, they never shut off, like at work. Like your last hour at work, it's like, hey, you just chill out, finish your reports, come in. But you have those cops that are like 30 minutes before coming in are constantly pulling traffic. You know, when I say traffic, pulling traffic stops. Yeah, and writing people tickets for speeding to work in the morning, right? Right, and that would be fucking Sergeant Nicholas Angel to a T. Yeah. The guy does not know how to shut off. It's fucking ridiculous. I, and I, it's funny for the movie, but it's not, in real life, it would be just, it would drive me up the fucking wall. Oh, yeah, we kind of hate those people. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, another thing, I, I just want to brush on the backstory of it. So he's a cop, police officer, or constable in London. He does such a good job. His higher-ups basically say, hey, you're making us look bad. So they send him to a small town, uh, Sanford, right? Yeah, a small village somewhere in the in the country. Yeah, so he, uh, he gets forced to be transferred to this small location where there's supposedly no crime. And, I mean, I don't know what they're supposed to, he's supposed to actually get out of that. Are they supposed to settle him down? Do you understand that, Yeah, Parker? the reason being is that um, they said his arrest record was 400% more than the average patrol constable, which would be <laughs> patrol officer, <laughs> uh, patrol constable. So they're like, we got to get rid of this fucking guy. Because if one dude is performing 400% higher than everyone else, then the, the highest ups, the higher ups are going to be like, why isn't everyone else performing at 400% more? Right. So that's why they're like, get this fucking guy out of here. <laughs> and you're right. He's kind of an asshole when it comes to that. Because, I mean, if you're a slug on the job, you're a slug. But right. you don't want to be that person either. That's just, I mean, he's probably t he's probably doing all this proactive work and not taking calls for service. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, so. yeah. And that's another thing that just drives me crazy. I can't stand it. So, yeah, you, you know, he gets moved to Sanford. And, I mean, how do, how do you feel he kind of you know, blends in in Sanford when he first gets there. Well, let's say, how does he blend in with his fellow police officers there? Oh, boy. Um, he doesn't at all. So I just want to bring up the first actual scene when he arrives to Sanford and he goes out to the pub. Yeah, he gets a, excuse me, it's a cranberry juice. <laughs> and instantly, he, like you said, he doesn't know how to turn his brain off, so he's looking around and he sees, what, kids in the bar? And he's just like, flashes his badge, how old are you? <laughs> yeah, and there's not one patron in that bar that's 18 years old. <laughs> They're all like 15-year-olds. So he kicks them all out, arrests them, and then on his way out, he takes uh, Nick Frost, who is what, Danny Butterman? <laughs> yeah, Butterman. It's the perfect name for Nick Frost in that movie. Yeah, so... He's arresting uh, another officer for attempting to drive D DUI. I well, he does. He gets in the car and he crashes it into oh, a fountain. Oh, yeah, he backs it up. Yeah, he backs it into a fountain. <laughs> <laughs> so you're trying to explain, like, how does he blend in? I He never does. Right. It, it seems like everyone in Sanford is content with just keeping things low-key, 
you know, they're getting their paycheck. It's a nice little community where they're all kind of fixtures and everyone knows them. And he's the one that's, you know, walking in there and basically kind of turning it on its fucking ear, you know? Yeah, because, and I was going to talk about this, is like, he's out looking for something all the time. And the other the other constables there they just turn their head and be like oh no that's nothing like yeah that's an accident that the clear murder (laughs) clear homicide is an accident you know yeah and then uh i mean their biggest threat of the whole town is the the mime guy and Mm -hmm. the the runaway swan yeah yeah the runaway swan yeah yeah it's the you know it's their the as they said in the thing, like, you know, during they were rewatching, I think, a surveillance video of the house that blew up with the guy in it. Oh, yeah. And instead of actually looking for evidence on the video, they're like, oh, the biggest, you know, <laughs> biggest mystery in Sanford is, you know, peaked its ugly head and it's a swan walking across, you know. <laughs> but I'll say this, too, you know, getting on like how he blends in, like you said, he never does. Like day one, they're eating black forest cake. And they're talking about Danny getting everyone Ben and Jerry's. And I'm like, and he's like, like, no, I'm like, what's fucking wrong with you, dude? Like, yeah. I would love to start every shift with a pint of chunky monkey. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, And some black forest cake. Yeah, and some delicious black forest cake. The guy's just a fucking Debbie Downer, dude. So Dirk, what, what do you, what are some nuances of this movie that really stand out to you? I think the, uh, the biggest thing that stands out is the way that the director, uh, pieced the film together with all what you call what fast cuts yeah fast cuts that's an interesting part of the movie uh, fast cuts are typically three seconds or less segments that tie together basically a greater scene so what it will be is like four or five three second clips that show a character doing something over let's say like an hour period it you know it's like 12 overall seconds that depict what a character did over an hour so for example in Shaun of the dead they do a great job with um, Simon Pegg getting ready for work. You know, they show like a three second clip of him brushing his teeth, then putting his tie on, then toast coming out of the toaster, you know? And it shows that's like, you know, what would take a normal person 45 minutes. That's like nine seconds. So they're bringing action to a scene that has no action whatsoever. Right. You know, especially with their, the, the sound effects and the, the, the things they do with it. I mean, and they do it a lot in hot fuzz as well. They'll, they'll do a lot of fast cuts in that. And, uh, Dirk, you were talking about that earlier, how, you know, something as simple as someone writing their name down or, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, Nick, he goes to, like, open a cell door, and it's, like, the biggest action scene ever, and he's just opening a door to get into the police department. <laughs> yeah, they do a good job in those movies. I, I hadn't noticed that in any other movie ever, and I'm sure I'm wrong about that. I don't think they invented fast cuts, but, yeah, they, they do make something as simple as pouring a beer or writing your name down. Or in this case, checking out like the evidence locker or a cell. Like this just makes it interesting. So I'll have to look it up, but I've heard it's called something. It's in reference to Michael Bay and how he does his all his action films, but his are they're spread out and they're they're kind of I don't know if they're poking fun at it or what are they what they're doing with it. Yeah, it's almost like a homage or whatever to michael bay and is the way he makes movies you know because michael bay makes only kind of act very cgi heavy action movies and these guys are obviously working on very low budgets and i think it's kind of like a an homage to the things that michael bay does you know yeah in reference to michael bay too and how uh they always refer to the movie um bad boys 2 which was directed by michael bay they they at the very end of the movie um it shows Simon Pegg and Nick Frost getting ready for this battle in the street. 
and they do the camera twists around their body like 360 degrees and shows them like turning around to get ready for this fight like martin lawrence and will smith and bad boys too right yeah you know martin lawrence he's getting off the phone he's just like oh shit just got real you know it's the exact same scene with simon Pegg and nick frost getting ready for this battle right and nick frost's character danny is constantly quoting and mentioning that movie which i think is something interesting to bring up is that you have sergeant angel nicholas angel who goes to sanford and he's experienced some shit like i mean he's been in shootings um, he's he been stabbed. stabbed. Yeah. You know, he's, he's had a rough go of it as a cop and he goes to this little quaint little village and Danny, who's been in Sanford, it appears his whole career <laughs> is wanting to get into shit <laughs> for whatever reason. Cause I think he, he, he's seen bad boys. He mentions point break, he mentions all these movies where there's like very, very heavy action. He wants to get into it and constantly in a non dickhead Nicholas angel move, he's like, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but more or less, hey, Danny, like, you don't want to get into that stuff. It's not fun. <laughs> and uh, what his dad is the, the ch- what is it, chief constable? Is that what they call him? Yeah, chief inspector. Chief inspector, okay. Yeah. yeah, and he's, you know, they're always talking about, you know, there hasn't been a murder in, what, 27 years? Yeah. yeah. Like, something like crazy like that. So, I just, you're right, Danny wants to get into this stuff, and... <laughs> Sergeant Nicholas Angel's like, hey, man, this isn't fun. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, at one point he's like, you know, Danny's always asking him these fucking asinine questions. Like, have you ever fired two guns whilst jumping through the air? And he's like, no. And then the other guy, you know, kind of pokes fun at him. And he's like, have you ever been stabbed? And the guy replies, no. And he's like, yeah, it's not the least bit of fun, I tell you. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so... Yeah, it's an interesting, you know, kind of mix on the department. I think Danny's probably the only one that actually wants to get into shit, and the rest are just happy eating cake, eating ice cream, and just chilling out. Yeah, they just want to turn their heads to everything that's happening for the, you know, for the greater good. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I think that's a dream for a lot of cops, honestly, in real life. A lot of cops would just prefer to just not have a lot happen. Well, and I don't know if you remember in the beginning of the movie, but um, when sergeant nicholas angel is becoming transferred um he's like well i thought you wanted to move to a smaller town like the the other like chief or whatever and he's like well yeah in like 20 years not not right now he wants the action still because he's so into it yeah and i think you know i have trouble gauging simon Pegg's age i think he's supposed to be in his like early to mid 30s and he's been on he's been on for like 10 years or something you know right um so i think yeah that was his that was his goal was ultimately go out to Sanford or to a village somewhere and retire when he got into his fifties, maybe, <laughs> you know, but they're like, fuck that kick rocks now, dude, <laughs> like, get out of London. So yeah, I think it's, um, an excellent, this is actually probably the, the best, um, comedy cop movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I would, I totally agree. And the way that they, they put everything together, the dialogue, um, and all the little nuances. Yeah. The little, I want to say jokes that they put in there are like the guy's gonna, they're taking the guy home from the bar cause he's too drunk mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh man, I wouldn't want to be him in the morning. And sure enough, he dies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that, it was just great. You know, it's so funny. Like that guy was so pissed drunk. They drop him off at home. He says, you know, to him, how much is it going to be? And he's like 20 quid. And then. <laughs> Angel sees that, grabs it, and goes, here's your change. The guy grabs it, literally walks through the threshold of his door and passes <laughs> on the floor, and they just leave him there. Yeah. Um, 
And then they do one of those fast cuts where they show the guy, you know, grabbing a, looks like a Grolsch, you know, with like the pop cork. Right. Like the, one of those delicious Grolsch beers. He pisses on the toilet seat. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, then the killer comes in and actually, you know, just uh, kills him at that point. Okay. So I, uh, I had to look this up cause I saw it in, um, I just found it on Google. I, I'm not going to give any credit to anybody cause I don't know, but, uh, the smash cuts that we were talking about earlier, this guy calls it Bayham. Um, he calls it uh, when they they put all those clips together and just smash them. And, and an example in here is where they go up extremely close to a guy like doing paperwork and then cut to a man watering a plant. Like it's just it's simple stuff, but they make it more action packed than it needs to be. Yeah, totally. And it it's it's cool because it actually it makes the story go faster or makes it more interesting. Yeah, and you, you wouldn't know? think it would because it's so it's the acts that they're doing isn't exciting at all. No. And they have nothing to do with the actual storyline. It's like the Seinfeld of movies. Like it's a <laughs> show about nothing. You know what I mean? But they make it exciting with those smash cuts. Yeah. And, uh, I'm going to skip over. So the biggest thing that I like about this and related to cops, uh, cop work or police work is that, uh, after, if you notice at, after every arrest, he's doing paperwork, he's booking someone. Yeah, uh, which is in direct contradiction to, to Lethal Weapon, how we said they didn't do a shred of paperwork. They actually show him, like, booking, like, that first night when he arrests all those kids and he arrests Danny. Yeah. He does the paperwork handwritten out for every single one of them. It looks like it's over a span of, like, five or six hours, you know? Yeah, and he, I mean, it's smash cut it in, but, uh, and I just did air quotes again, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they smash it all in there to it. It only takes about two minutes in the scene, but he's taking photos, doing fingerprints, writing the report. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's like one of the things that I see in there. And it's like, hey, this it's actually what you do. So. Yeah, you would have to do. Sure. And in real life, that would be overwhelming. I mean, it would, be, it would take forever, you know, to do. I don't know how many arrest bookings he did, like five or six or whatever with all those kids. You oh, know? yeah. And I think at one point the... <laughs> The guy at the front desk that allows people into the police department, he goes, are you going to process all these? Yeah. And, and he's like, my pen's running out of ink. <laughs> he pulls out two pens and clicks them. Yeah, he's like, I'm good. I yeah, just, just a fucking asshole, dude. Yeah, no, I, uh, I noticed that too. And um, yeah, he actually makes the remark. He's like, oh, I see you've arrested the whole village then. <laughs> he goes, when do you start? He goes, would you start in tonight? He goes, no, tomorrow. <laughs> and he's already arresting everyone in the village. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that part. Um, and so I got some interesting stuff that I want to tell you. I found uh, about this movie. So the music writer, or the person who wrote the music for this, guess what his name is? What's his name? His name's Nicholas Angel. Ah, uh, so they just kind of like, well, he must have, prior to doing this movie, he must have worked with them on other movies or something. Because like, you don't yeah, make a I- character's name like... And I believe it was Shaun of the Dead, too. Oh, okay. So it's like a buddy of theirs, probably. They're yeah, just like, it has to be. Right. So that'd be like me, if I wrote a movie, I'd be like, oh, the, the character's name's Dirk Mason or something. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so, and you know the the other films, Shaun of the Dead, and I believe it's, what is it, World's End? Yeah, The World's End, yeah. The World's End, and then Pop Fuzz. There's that ice cream that they're eating. Cornetto. Cornetto ice cream. Or as Nick Frost always says, Cornetto. <laughs> <laughs> So if you notice in Shaun of the Dead, they go to that uh, convenience store and he gets one and it's actually the color red. Yeah. yeah. The packer or the wrapping is. Right. 
And then in Hot Fuzz, it's blue for police. Right. And then World's End, they actually make it green. And the movie's related. I haven't seen that movie, It's but I'm apparently understanding that it's uh, alien-related. or Yeah, it's supposed to be like... Um, it's supposed to be about aliens. Um, same characters, basically. You know, like The good thing about Simon Pegg and Nick Frost is they always get really, really good British comedians and really good British comics to be in their movies. Um, even Shaun of the Dead had a really good cast for such a, like a, a small budget, you know, kind of indie film. Um, so yeah, World's End's similar to the rest of the movies. Really, really good British comics, and um, you know that's a movie. You know, it's not law enforcement related, so we're not really going to get too far into it. But uh, that's also an excellent movie made by these guys. Yeah. So, uh, what did you think of? I mean, is there any other things that stand out in the movie that you want to bring up? Yeah, you know, I think. Um, you know, I brought up the main points. I think, you know, like I said, Nicholas Angel's just kind of like, it's funny for the movie, but if you bring it into real police work, there are people like that. Um, not to that degree, because, I mean, this dude, I mean, I don't even think he sleeps in the movie, not once. So they show him one time laying in bed, and he has like one of those uh, <laughs> those grip things, you know, where it's a strength in your grip. Yeah. And he just sits staring at the ceiling, like anticipating going into work like he enjoys it so much and it's like that's fucking bullshit you know like the guy doesn't take a day for himself he doesn't do anything like and everything he does do that's a hobby is related to police work right like me dude the minute i get out of that uniform i'm like fuck this you're (laughs) turning it off yeah yeah turn it off dude (laughs) i mean the guy is so on all the time it it would just it would drive someone up the fucking wall yeah his uh biggest relationship in the movie is a japanese peace lily yeah and he had a great you know they they go over briefly he had a girlfriend and she you know basically states hey yeah we were gonna get married but you're married to the force like you don't stop looking at all the angles you know um so he was yeah just kind of an obnoxious fuck in the movie (laughs) i think it was a funny i think it was a great film don't get me wrong um yeah but yeah i don't have anything negative to say about it um and Another funny thing is, is when the, all the the murders that mm-hmm. are happening in the in the town, uh, Sergeant Nicholas Angel he crafts this whole thing of how legitimately all these murders could have happened, and it's possible. He mm-hmm. has a great there's a motive, there's everything sure. to tie everything together, but then he meets this uh, what do you call it like a clan or whatever they're in their yeah town. it's like a it's like a cult or yeah like a cult yeah. Uh, so he he meets them and he's just like, uh, so you, you killed all these people for what reasons? And he says, well, that one girl had an annoying laugh. Like, and the, there's these simple childish things that they killed all these people off for. Well, and I think that goes with the the theme of the movie. Like he goes to Sanford, which I mean, if you look at it, it's picturesque, right? Yeah. Like no crime. The biggest crime they have there is kids drinking at the local pub. And as the pub owner said, you know, it's better in here than out there getting into trouble. You know what I mean? And True. So it's all for the greater good. And dickhead ain't, uh, Nicholas Angel steps in. And it's like, well, they're going to have to go. And then it immediately smash cuts in the next scene and the pub owner's pissed. And he's like, another cranberry juice. <laughs> you know? Um, so I think it's, uh, um, yeah, I think that goes to the whole the whole theme with Sanford is that they want it perfect, and if anyone doesn't fit in, it's like instead of just asking them to leave, maybe, <laughs> or even being like a passive aggressive dickhead, and so they're just like, "I'm not welcome here." They end up murdering all these people. Yeah, they have to take uh, action into their own hands and be like, "Well, they're 
that one guy i can't think of his name tim merchant or whatever oh yeah um, they, don't they drop like a gargoyle on his head <laughs> no that's tim messenger sorry oh, with okay the, uh the paper but no the guy who had the that blew up in his house oh sure um, yeah 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 he didn't have the right style of house was that the reason they blew his house up yeah Oh, shit. I didn't even notice that little... Okay. Yeah, because they didn't like the style of home. It wasn't with the... The old cottage yeah. style. Yeah, and he had more of like a... Because he was like the refrigerator king of that area or whatever. He's kind of a wealthy guy. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Oh, that's funny. I didn't notice that. That's cool. Yeah, and then uh, they said like Tim Messenger as we were... You know, he dro- they dropped the thing, the gargoyle on his head or whatever, mm-hmm. the piece of concrete that he was, um, he was killed because he couldn't spell in the paper. Like, yeah, he spelled Nicholas Angel, Nicholas Angle. Yeah. And everyone thought it was like the funniest thing that ever happened, and they kept calling him Angle after that. Yeah, so they're just so annoyed with him, they <laughs> they kill him off. You know, overall with this movie, and I'll say this kind of in summation, I think it's uh, some some of the things in it are actually legit. In Of course, we don't know what goes on over in the UK, uh, but I think it's a, kind of an interesting look at police work and kind of the thought process of, you know, like we went through lethal weapon last week, which is like nonstop ass kicking. Yeah. And we go to this week where it's a little bit more, I hate to say it cause it's a comedy and it's made by Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, but it's kind of more realistic than the weapon. It is. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the things Nicholas Angel does in the movie, like when he pulls traffic on the guy and he starts writing down everything he says, you know, and he said he has his pencil, you know, and I would say the pencil is similar to our body cameras now in that it kind of records everything. Stop writing. Yeah. yeah. You know, and he's pissing the guy off and the guy's this is just preposterous. Yeah. <laughs> preposterous. He's like spelling it out. Um, but I think that's a similar thing to our body cameras is that he's like, this has saved my ass more than anything else. You know what I mean? Is taking down every little thing I see and do. Right. Um, so there's a lot more realistic things in it. it. It's a really, really good comedy. If you haven't seen it, I would highly suggest seeing it. If you're a cop and you haven't seen it, then fucking quit now because you're not <laughs> doing anyone a good service by that. So that was this week's um, pop culture corner. It was hot fuzz. Great movie. And I know that's one of Dirk's favorites. Yeah, I can't uh, tell you enough how much I like that movie. So, Dirk, what do we have coming up next? Uh, call of the Week. This episode's Call of the Week is going to be brought to you by Lisa Mason. Dirk, what's the name of this episode? The Piggyback Ride. The Piggyback Ride. I look forward to hearing it. Let's get into it. Hi, Lisa Mason here. I'm here with my hubby, Dirk Mason, and we're going to talk about an incident that he experienced when he was with his FTO. And for those that don't know what an FTO is, that's a field training officer. So before you're let out on the street, you go with the field training officer. They observe, make sure that you're doing everything correctly. Basically, don't mess anything up. That's true. So why don't you tell us about this call and what you experienced on it? Or not the call, the... The experience incident. yeah the incident the piggyback ride the piggyback ride so uh i was in field training like you said i was on they have a couple cycles normally the first cycle you start off with is you're just observing second cycle is when you actually start doing stuff oh it's like stages yeah okay so i was in second cycle i had like my first week i just started driving and like my main thing was just to drive and navigate and not hit anything hopefully right. Unless we're in, you know, an action movie, then you hit everything. Yeah. Uh, so I was, it was like two in the morning. My FTO, this little short chubby guy, 
Um, <laughs> he's in the passenger seat, and I was going down the main strip uh, within the city. And I just remember, I look over, and this guy's sleeping. I'm like, this is my first week, and my FTO is snoring. Well, it's two in the morning. What do you expect? Yeah, he's sawing logs, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's supposed to be observing me on my second week, make sure I don't do anything stupid. And this guy's sleeping. Nice. <laughs> so Quality work. I just remember I was heading south um, on the main strip, and there was a red light. So I'm sitting at the red light, and there is no one around at this time. Zero. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, no one around. So I'm just looking looking around, and I remember seeing a car coming north on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look closer, and I the car, like, speeds up. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? It's a red light. You know, both north and south have red lights. Oh. I'm not worried because there's no one in the area, so I'm not worried he's going to crash into anybody or anything. But it, I was like, what is he doing? And I, uh, as soon as he gets closer, I observe this guy. He's... Oh, I should describe the vehicle first. It's like a Honda Pilot. So it's like an SUV. Um, it's a square, boxy car. And oh. yeah, there's a guy standing on, on the back bumper, hanging on to the luggage rack as this guy's driving down Main Street. He's oh. doing like 40 or 50 miles an hour. So he's literally standing on the bumper, holding on to the r- luggage rack and just outside the vehicle, just wee. Yeah, and apparently... I mean, so this red light is, the red light's still there because no one's around to trip it, so it's going to go through the whole cycle. And this guy runs the red light. And there's a guy standing on the back, holding onto the luggage rack, and has the biggest grin on his face. And I'm just like, oh my god, what is going on? You know, back in uh, high school, we used to do truck bed surfing. (laughs) And I know this is totally illegal, but we used to do something similar. We would stand up in the truck bed and then see if the person would stop if we didn't flip over the cab of the truck. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I I can kind of relate to that person a little bit, but... You know, when you're young and dumb, was this a kid that was doing it or was no, it a, an adult? adult? No, that's different. That's, you can't, no. Yeah. Yeah. So I flip on my lights. I turn the corner, make a U-turn on going northbound. My FTO, who's sawn logs, finally is like, whoa, what do you got? What do you, what's going on? He just wakes up in a panic. And I go, look, like there's a guy on the back of this car. So lights and sirens, I hit this uh, car and the guy like turns around that's on the luggage rack and just looks and he has this grin on his face i'm like what this he's like smiling but it's not like i don't know it's a hard to describe like a creepy smile a creepy like grin like a joker kind of grin or yeah kind of oh okay and he's shirtless has just shorts on oh and no shoes just oh. socks oh okay just socks <laughs> just socks and no sandals no sandals <laughs> No chanclas. No chanclas. Just, so I I hit my lights and sirens, turn around on this guy, and the driver slows down. And as soon as the the car starts to slow down, the guy on the trunk, or on the back of the truck, starts to freak out, jumps off, barrel rolls like eight or nine times in the street, and doesn't skip a beat, boom, takes off foot pursuit. Like, just starts running. And my sleepy FTO that was passed out, he looks at me and he goes, "You stay with the, you stay with the driver. I got this." And this this guy is just a little roly poly, goes yeah. sonic speed to this dude. He's five four, pushing two hundred. Like <laughs> he's not yeah. gonna catch this guy. It's like Sonic, though, you know the little round blue <laughs> yeah. ball. Pew! 
Not even close? No. No? Okay. <laughs> He's not as fast as Sonic, for sure. <laughs> so I get up to the driver while my FTO's in this, you know, maybe foot pursuit, if he can even keep up with this guy. Uh, he goes, I go, sir, what was this guy doing? He goes, he jumped on my car while I was at the gas station. I don't know who he is. I don't know what he's doing. But as soon as I went to stop for the red light, I saw his grin in my rear view mirror. And he goes, I freaked out. I saw you guys at the red light. So I ran it so you would at least stop me and help me out. And I told him, I was like, wow, that's good thinking. Wow, that's really smart. So after everything's all said and done, we end up, you know, chubby. (laughs) He didn't catch this guy, obviously. Oh, shocker. We set up a perimeter. We could never find this guy. So till this day, I don't know who it was. Nice. But, uh... That's pretty sad. So this guy with socks outran your FTO. Well, I mean, if you wanted to give my FTO any props, he did have quite of a head start after barrel rolling and just yeah, because you know, your FTO was waking up. Yeah, <laughs> it happens on graveyards. Yeah. So yeah, I at least the the guy in the the vehicle was safe, I guess. Yeah. So. What colored pants was this guy wearing? God, I can't remember. It was short. It was some shorts. Oh, were so. they camo? Maybe that's why he couldn't find them. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sure he was on type some type of speed, though. Oh, he had to be with that creepy grin. Yeah. Oof. So. And meth was a huge thing where I was working at the oh, time. Oh, trending? So. Yeah. Oh, okay. So maybe some meth. This poor guy stops at a gas station to fill up and some wacko jumps on as he's pulling out. Yeah. Wow. Smart of him not to stop, though, and to run that red light. Yeah, you just, you know, keep the momentum of the vehicle going. And However, if you would have abruptly stopped, that would have been very entertaining as well. Just saying. (laughs) Yeah. It would have went flying, so. Yep. Well, thank you for uh, coming on again. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that interesting story. And that's all we have for this week. What do you think, Dirk? I feel better than I did last week. Let's say that. I don't. I... (laughs) I'll be honest, I, I don't feel good. I think that, you know how, like, a little kid has to burn his hand on the stove, like, <laughs> in order to not burn his hand a second time? Oh, um, man. Yeah. I, I guess I, I don't even learn the hard way. No, because that's two weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for tuning in. Next week, we're going to have... Die Hard. Die Hard. We're going to dive deeper into the personnel files where we find out the origins of Dirk Mason and go over basic training for Teddy. And as always, we'll finish with the call of the week. So that's us signing off. Real quick, Dirk, how do they reach us? Just remember, two cops and a donut, T-W-O at gmail.com or on Instagram. Great. Thank you. Cool.